Martin Luther's great song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, which we will sing at the end of our service tonight, had its impetus in Luther's mind directly from Psalm 46. And this may very well be one of the most famous hymns in all the Christian faith. And this means, therefore, that Psalm 46 is one of the most beloved psalms in all of the Psalter of Israel. So you follow along as I read Psalm 46. The choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alemoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters His voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. If you want to see a good outline of this psalm, look at the three ways that the song accentuates the strong saving character of Yahweh God. Verse 1, it says, God is our refuge, or if you prefer, fortress. God is our strength. God is our help, which really covers verses 1 to 3. And then verse 7, it says that the Lord of hosts, or the Lord of Sabaoth, or The God of armies, or Yahweh of armies, is with us. The God of Jacob, or the God of Israel, is our fortress. And of course, that's the crescendo ending, that second stanza, verses 4 to 7. And then the exact same words in verse 11. The Yahweh of hosts, the God of hosts, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob, the God of Israel, is our fortress including not only the psalm, but also verses 8 to 11. And in each of these sections, we end with that word selah, which could mean, of course, a musical interlude or a pause, which might encourage us to slow down and to think and to meditate upon the truths that we've just heard sung. We don't know exactly what that word means, but it certainly is significant, especially in this psalm because it ends each of those three major sections. But I guess the question could be asked, what contexts do each of these affirmations about the character of our God find themselves? 
What are the contexts here? Well, I see those three, of course, verses 1, 2, and 3 as number 1, verses 4 through 7 as number 2, and then verses 8, 9, 10, and 11 as number 3. All three of those are designed to tell us something that's happening in the world and that God is in complete control, that God is sovereign. And not only is He sovereign, but also He is our fortress given those things that are occurring in our world. God is our refuge. He is our strength. He is our help. And the first is natural disaster. Natural disaster there in verses 1 through 3. God is our fortress in natural disaster. Did you pick up on that when we read those verses? Of course, it's talking about the earth giving way in verse 2 and the mountains slipping into the heart of the sea and the waters roaring and foaming, the mountains trembling at the swelling of the oceans of the world. That's all talking, I think, about natural disasters. Now, there are occasions, like in the prophecy of Isaiah, that sometimes these natural calamities are talking about the movements of war. But I think because war is talked about in verses 8 and 9, I think that covers the idea of military conquest. So we'll take it that verses 1, 2, and 3 are, in fact, talking about natural disasters. And I want you to notice that first word there, refuge or fortress, in the first part of verse 1. Of course, that word means a place of asylum, a place of asylum, a place that is that's offering protection and safety. A fortress, you might know, is that elevated place, that place of safety, especially when you could find great protection against enemies. It was earlier said this evening that the idea of that high place in which Israel at certain periods of time went up on Masada and tried to escape their marauding enemies. And uh, that's one of many places and, of course, many ideas where Israel was challenged, challenged to make sure that they and their armies, to say nothing of their people, were safe. And this was a commonplace problem in this world at that time. And they needed a refuge. They needed someone with great strength, far superior to their own. And so this fortress idea is very common. And of course, it gripped Martin Luther's heart in the time of his own struggle during the seedbed of the Reformation. And then look at the middle part of verse 1. It says he is our strength, our refuge or fortress and strength, which of course means God's power, his power to protect us from harm because we're weak and we're desperate and we need God's strength. You don't have to be uh, experiencing uh, any kind of uh, physical heartache, heartache from, a, uh, from a marauding band of robbers or an army that's trying to overcome your nation to say to the Lord, I'm crying out to you for strength, right? Of course not. And then look at the end of verse 1. He is our help which means, of course, in this context, could be translated literally from the Hebrew text, a help in troubles he is found abundantly. A help in troubles he is found abundantly. 
By the way, the alternate translation, if you have in the margin of your ESV Bible, a translation that God is not only a very present help in trouble, but that alternate translation, if you look down there, it says, or well-proved in trouble. Well-proved. He's proven himself time and again that he is your strength and help in a time of trouble. I wonder how many of us really believe that. How many of us, when we're going through these bleak and dark times, really believe that God is our help in time of trouble? That He's well proved in our affliction? He is, and that's the way it's set up. We're, we're hearing immediately from the psalmist. We're hearing this song that God is our refuge. He's our strength. He's our help in trouble. And of course, as I said, with the beginning of verse 2, it's telling us that He is all of those things in natural disaster. Listen to it again, verse 2. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved or slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, the swelling of the ocean. And then, of course, it says, Selah, stop, pause, meditate. Of course, the first phrase in verse 2 says, therefore, we will not fear. And you and I say, well, if the earth was giving way and the mountains were quite literally slipping into the heart of the sea and if the waters were rising above these supposedly insurmountable mountains and they were in fact slipping into the sea or it looked like that because the water was rising and the mountaintops were descending into the ocean? Do you and I think we would be saying, I will not fear? It says it right there, therefore, we will not fear. I'm not so sure about my reaction to that. Whenever I see on television a report, whether in our own country or somewhere around the world, and there is some major calamity, some major disaster, some tremendous natural cataclysmic action, however it may have started, however it seems that it's in a place of great population or numerous buildings, doesn't matter, and you and I are watching from our television screen, and we see multitudes of people doing what? Crying, troubled, anxious, perplexed, worried for their families, for themselves, for their possessions. We see that even on what we would say, relatively speaking, on a minor scale when there is a flash flood in our area or a raging fire And we see those in the neighborhood and they're crying and weeping and scared because they are fearful not only of their people but their property. And yet the Word of God says, therefore we will not fear. Earthquakes, which move the supposedly immovable mountains into the seas. And in the seas themselves, tsunamis, 
thunderous tidal waves, massive hurricanes, terrifying floods from the oceans, and also water pelting the earth even atmospherically and from the powerful lightning from this most scary weather in the skies and from the winds and tornadoes. I've been in tornadoes. In the south, they're quite numerous, very scary. Even those water cyclones and stormy winds and horrifying gusts from both the earth below and the sky above and fast racing fires and the scorching heat from the earth destroying everything in its path and even in the tectonic plates within the very bowels of our planet the earth splits out uh, spits out i should say fire and lava like so many volcanoes erupting in the sky like the belching of fierce retribution from the angry belly of the earth. And those are just a few. But God's Word says, therefore we will not fear. How could you not? How could you not fear? I mean, it seems like everything is lost. And we might hear someone say, oh my My possessions are all lost, but at least we have each other. And yet it's still very, very fearful. It's the wonder about the future. Are we going to be able to rebuild? Maybe they've even lost family members. And yet here it is. God is our refuge. He's our fortress. He's our strength. And I suppose there may even be Some of those who, even believers, who've lost loved ones, who've lost everything and did attempt to rebuild, rebuild, and maybe even sometimes their entire families are gone and other onlookers say, was God their refuge? Was He their very help in time of trouble? What about them? Are they the ones who are saying, we will not fear? Though the earth gives way and the mountains slip into the heart of the sea and the waters roar and foam and the mountains tremble with the oceans swelling, is that something we ought to just say, well, we shouldn't fear about that? What does it all mean? How do you sing a song like that? Natural disaster. It's so unnerving. Yet the Bible tells us that God is something for us. We can run into Him and be safe. And that He can give us strength. And that He's well proved to help us in our trouble. And that we should not fear I suppose that one thing he's looking for from us in whatever natural disaster it may be is faith. Faith. You know, if we act as Christians just like the world, we are as unnerved as they are and maybe even more so, then where is our faith? Where is our trust? What is... What does God want from us in the time of a natural disaster, a calamity that overthrows an area, puts it in what appears to be utter chaos? What 
What do we do? Well, I know this in my ministry related not only to other pastors, but especially a couple of those who I know very well who serve as chaplains. I know one who lives up in the Pacific Northwest, my friend Bruce Ray, who's a chaplain for fire and rescue, police, one of those first responders. And I've listened to him and I've heard him actually teach on the subject. I've heard him talk to those who've grieved. I've heard of him who've talked to those who've lost everything. And here's a man who, while he has seen very, very severe natural disaster, he speaks to those people and he's able to have an entree into their heart because he talks about who God is. Refuge, fortress, strength, help. And he's talked to me even personally about the tremendous opportunities he's had to speak to people about what faith is and to whom our faith abides. And I think there's a responsibility for us. It's a great responsibility for us in whatever may come to us, including not just believers, but unbelievers. And it may be the same natural disaster that affects both of us. And if the unbelievers are responding in natural ways that they do, then how much more should believers say, I'm going to choose as an act of my will not to fear. And I want to be emulating this God who is a refuge and a strength and a help in trouble. I'm not like Him in toto, of course. No human being is sinful as we are, but there's one thing I can do. I can be one of His representatives on the earth. I can speak of my trust. I can speak of my desire not to be fearful. I can speak of hope and help as we run into the refuge that is God Himself. And there have been sweet conversions to Jesus Christ by those who have shown themselves as trusting in the Lord, just like Psalm 46 says. This is, this is a sweet psalm, even though it's talking about things that are very desperate. God is our, our refuge, our strength, our help in trouble, and we won't fear. Luther had it right on target in the first verse of his hymn. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, our helper amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. Mortal ills. I could die. And even then, in the throes of death, I will not fear because there is hope beyond the grave of mortal ills prevailing. Number two, God is not only our fortress in natural disaster, but He's also our fortress in all political and societal upheaval. All political and societal upheaval. Look at verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. What does that mean? 
There is, by the way, especially in David's time, not a, a river but a spring, the Gihon Spring, that actually was quite helpful for those who lived in Jerusalem, the holy city. Zion, we might call it. And perhaps this would be the kind of thing that the psalmist might be thinking of. There is a river, maybe the Gihon, whose streams make glad the city of God. Look, when you are trying to fortify yourself and you might have an encroaching army or you might have some kind of political intrigue going on and they're trying to cut off your water supply, the very thing that helps keep you alive, And then you, as a Jewish person, as someone who is a part of the nation of Israel, and you read this from the psalmist, and you sing this to your God, and you sing this to each other, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. That is, makes glad the inhabitants of the city of God. And uh, by the way, who's in control of such a city? Look at the latter part of verse 4 the holy habitation of the Most High. The Most High dwells there. He's the king. He's ultimately in charge. Verse 5, God is in the midst of her. He's in the midst of the city. And because of that, this city, Zion, shall not be moved. And do you see that phrase there, shall not be moved? Isn't that the very word of verse 2, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. That's the Hebrew word slip, and it's the same word in both places. If the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, according to verse 2, the promise of God in verse 5, according to Psalm 46, is that God is in the midst of the holy city. He's the most high, and the city, therefore, shall not slip shall not slip. Do you know that the city of Jerusalem is destined to be the center of the entire earth one day? I think God is preserving her for such a time. You say, it doesn't look like it right now. Well, you know, there are epics and seasons. And if you've ever visited the old city, Jerusalem, you might think that right now, while it has its unique sort of beauty that it's divided by three rival religions, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. And yet there will be a day, and God has promised it, He is in the midst of her and she will not slip. The mountains may slip into the heart of the sea, but not His holy city. What a promise to Israel. What a great comfort. God will help her when morning dawns. That may signal that there's some kind of darkness. Maybe there's been a siege. Maybe the city looks like it's being taken captive. And yet God has given her a promise that ultimately and finally when morning dawns after this darkness of foreboding defense, this God will help this city when morning dawns. And by the way, that verb help there, exact same word as verse 1. God is a very present help in trouble. It's uh, for effect. Help 
won't slip. These are God's promises. This is, this is God speaking out of His Word. And even though you and I may be saying right now, well, I've never been to Jerusalem. I don't know about the protection of the holy city. God may be uh, the most high in this holy habitation, but I'm here in Thousand Oaks. What about me? Just transfer it to your own context. And what kind of issue is in these verses? Well, if natural disasters are in verses 2 and 3, this is that political and societal intrigue. Verse 6, the nations rage, the kingdoms slip. That's the word slip again. The kingdoms totter. And what does God do? He utters His voice. He speaks to it. He's in charge. No one else is higher or stronger or a greater refuge or a greater fortress than our God. I mean, the nations do rage. And kingdoms totter. They, they come and go. And if you're like me, you tire at the incessant news clips about what's going on politically in our government, in our land. And depending on what network you might be looking at, you'll find competing issues on both sides, and yet most of the, those reports are bringing reports of gloom and doom from either side. You know, it's probably a good thing not to even watch them. Because the nations are going to continue to rage and kingdoms will come and go. But when God utters His voice, what does the earth do? It melts. Here's the answer. Don't trust in your government. Don't trust in your government to save you. Don't trust in your government to keep you protected from all harm. Inevitably, all the kingdoms and governments of the world will fail you and me at some point point. Fear God, honor the king, but don't assume that your political or your society leaders will always and forever have your best interests in mind. They won't. In fact, you know what you should fear foremost? Don't fear the person who can kill the body, but fear the one who can kill and destroy both body and soul in hell. Isn't that true, Matthew 10? Yeah, fear that one. Fear the one who utters his voice, and when his first word comes out, the earth melts. Fear the Creator God. Fear His holiness. And don't be so concerned about the government and its doings. Now, I didn't say be totally unconcerned, but certainly, my friends, don't be overconcerned. Do you know why? Look at Psalm 75. Psalm 75. This is so very much like what we've just read in Psalm 46. Psalm 75. This is to the choir master, according to Do Not Destroy, a psalm of Asaph, a song. We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. At the set time, 
And this is God through the psalmist talking. This is the song. At the set time, I, God, appoint. I will judge with equity. When the earth totters, there it is again, and all its inhabitants, it is I who keep steady its pillars. Who's in charge? Who keeps each kingdom and all the worlds beside on their pillars? It's God. I say to the boastful, do not boast. And to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Do not lift up your horn on high or speak with haughty neck. For not from the east or from the west and not from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. So who's in charge of the governmental leaders at any time, at any place? It's God. He's the one who puts down one and he's the one who lifts up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine well mixed and he pours out from it and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. But I will declare it forever. I will sing praises, the psalmist says, to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. And Psalm 2. Why are all the nations in a rage? Here's what you better do. While all the nations are in a rage and all the kingdoms are tottering at any one point around the world, Psalm 2 says you better kiss the sun. That means pay homage to the one who's really, really in charge. And this is Psalm 46. He utters his voice. The earth melts. And then verse 7. The Lord of hosts, the Lord of all the armies, He's in charge. He has control of all the military, all of the political leaders, all of society. The Lord of hosts is with us. That's like Emmanuel, isn't it? Emmanuel, God with us. The Lord of hosts. The Lord of Sabaoth. The Lord of the armies. The God of Jacob, the God of Israel, Jacob became Israel, and he is our fortress. Selah, take a pause. Thank God that even in the midst of the chaos, that there will come a day when the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he is the one who, according to Revelation 19, is the ultimate Lord of all the armies. Revelation 19. Listen to this, verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, the hosts of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. Remember Psalm 46, remember Psalm 2, remember Psalm 75, the nations rage. Well, he comes 
to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He is in charge. Isn't this exactly what Luther's second verse says in that great hymn? Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing were not the right man on our side. Aren't you glad that Jesus Christ is on our side? The man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who this may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord, Sabaoth, his name. From age to age the same. And he must win the battle. And he will. God is with us. The God of Jacob, the God of Israel. He is with us. He's our Emmanuel. Third and finally tonight. God is not only our fortress for all natural disaster and for political and societal upheaval, but he's also our fortress in all military conquest. Verse 8. Come. Literally, come and see. Come and see. Come and see the works of the Lord. Come and see the works of Yahweh. How he has brought desolations, notice the plural, on the earth. He makes wars cease. I love this part. That word cease is actually our word for Sabbath. And we normally think of Sabbath as what? Rest. But it also means that something ceases. And what does God do? What does Yahweh do? He makes wars stop, cease to the end of the earth. He has the power to do that. And what does he do in order to end all the skirmishes of the world? He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. This may be like supply wagons who are bringing needed supplies uh, to the soldiers. And what does he do? He cuts off the wagon supplies. Burns them with fire. This is our God. This is the third example to see how our God is our refuge and our fortress, our strength, and our sure and present help in trouble, especially in the threat of a military conquest, a battle. And again, this is also frightening. Natural disasters. I mean, can you think of something so momentously frightening to you? You say, yeah. A government out of control, killing its innocent citizens by the sword of their own hand. Do you see the reports where there were those governmental leaders in a particular country who were turning gases upon their own children? It's frightening. And maybe the military conquest of a country coming and subjugating you into slavery to serve them. And maybe they haul off your wives and children and do unmentionable things to them. It's all just ghastly. Here's what it says. Come and see the works of the Lord. He's brought desolations on the earth. He can make the war cease. And if He chooses to do so, He'll do it in His time and in His way. 
And especially when you look to a future day when the end of the world shall come, and I just read Revelation 19, God will be left standing as the divine warrior king who has vanquished every foe. Ultimately and finally, the victor over every rival army and nation and people, and God Himself will be shown as the victor over all things. This is what the psalm is saying is saying to us. This is, this is what is the only possible response of the human heart. Where's my refuge? Where's my fortress? The answer is, it is God. It is God. It's not your country's military might. It's certainly not your country's political and societal fortitude. It isn't that at all. And certainly none of us can see natural disaster as doing anything else but breaking things apart. It's not any of that. Here it is, verse 10. Be still. Be still. You know what that means? Stop at once. Stop at once and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. I am God your God. Trust in me. Believe that I'm a refuge. Believe that I'm the one who is in fact in charge forever and ever. Believe this. Believe that God has highly exalted Jesus Christ. Psalm 46 says, I will be exalted in all the earth. And this is Jesus Christ. God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, Philippians 2.9, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the one for whom we have to say in our hearts, even tonight, even in the midst of whatever natural disaster may come, even some kind of political upheaval or even a military conquest or even just little old you and me when we're just trying to live faithfully our Christian life and we're coming up against something, whether it is physical or spiritual or both, and we're asking the question, is there any refuge, any fortress, any strength, any help? And the answer is the exalted Jesus Christ loves you and cares for you, and says, just like Luther in that third stanza, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed His truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for Him, His rage we can endure, for lo, His doom is sure. One little word will fail Him. What a great song! And what a greater scripture. Psalm 46 closes in verse 11. Do you see it there with that same refrain we saw in verse 7? The Lord of hosts is with us. He's our Emmanuel. And isn't that what it says of Jesus Christ in Matthew's gospel? Emmanuel, God with us. And that was prophesied in Isaiah's prophecy. There will come a man and he will be called Emmanuel with us. 
And He's the God of Jacob. He's the God of Israel. Is this what we believe? Do we believe that our God, Yahweh God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is our refuge, our fortress, our strength? We can all, myself most especially included, can have fear and doubt and wonder what God will do. Is He going to help us? And perhaps you and I would believe that this psalm sometimes is the furthest thing from our minds. But it isn't. It really isn't. Why? Because just as the last hymn of Luther's song tells us, that word, the little word that will fell the devil, that word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them, no thanks to the world, abideth still. The Spirit and the gifts are ours through Him who with us sideth. He's on our side. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you are with us. You love us. You care for us. You are a mighty fortress. Yes, a mighty fortress is our God. And you will be exalted in all the earth, Jesus Christ. And above all earthly powers stands the powerful Holy Spirit. And this Spirit and the gifts given us by the Spirit will be for us the things that we can use and appropriate so that this strong tower, this refuge, this fortress that is our God will be not only in truth but in our experience a mighty fortress that will sustain us in the hour of our greatest need. Oh, the body, they may kill, but God's truth abideth still. We are in need, some of us even in the secret places where no one thinks, no one knows except ourself what we're truly believing. And it is in those places where we ask you to come and visit us and remind us of Psalm 46. A mighty fortress is our God. Thank you that this Emmanuel is with us. Thank you for being the Lord of hosts to vanquish every foe. And even if we were to fall at the hands of any of these things, natural disaster, some political issue that overtakes a nation, or even by military conquest, 
Or maybe we just die a natural death. We should fear Him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. And so we cling to this fortress. And we ask this fortress to help us in our time of trouble. May it be so. From the smallest need we have to the greatest. May you be for us, Jesus Christ. The exalted one, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord Sabaoth, his name. Christ Jesus, it is he. Thank you for your salvation of sinners like us. And may we pray now, even as a church, that you would in fact be in our experience as a church, a mighty fortress. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.